Amazing. Okay, sweet, sweet. So, Jesus, La Rosa, thanks for coming on with us today. Um, just kind of uh, podcast, kind of track and strategize and, and kind of go into entrepreneurship, business, strategies, marketing, all everything that has to do with it. Jesus Larosa on today, attorney and entrepreneur at Larosa Law. He founded 2020. Um, experience in immigration, business, commercial litigation, securities, IP, private equity, and contract negotiations, as well as maybe a little contract negotiation with myself with the the resident <laughs> situation. But University of Iowa College of Law, and so this is cool too. So you've had you have some experience working with your mom because she's a doctor at her practice, right? We were talking about yeah, that yeah, last year. absolutely, yeah. That that's right. So first of all, thanks so much for having me. Um, I really appreciate the opportunity to get some free marketing. So, uh, so, so thank you and and Sean for for the opportunity. But yeah, so so mom's an, an MD. Uh, she she's a Cuban trained MD, um, and uh, she worked in Venezuela for a little while. And then uh, when we moved to the states, uh, she took a little while, but did she did the USMLE steps and uh, became I think it's EFCM. I don't know what the acronym is, but it's for like foreign doctors. She got that cert um, and then did a residency in Puerto Rico and then is now board certified uh, as a family practitioner. It's crazy. The back and forth. Right, Sean? I mean, with dentistry, it's just like. Yeah, they got to go through all these hoops and jump through. It's like she's an MD. Yeah, she's she's a trained doctor. She's got to go do it twice, three times you know, to get back to square one. It's props yeah. to her for doing it. Absolutely. Yeah, well, she she would say thank you, and and definitely it was it was a lot of work, but uh, I think it was worth it. Um, you know, with with the foreign docs, uh, especially when you're a Cuban foreign doc, you can go just about anywhere else in the world and and practice. Uh, but in the United States, you you do have to get through the the regulatory hoops. Um, the the most interesting of which is doing the residency again. <laughs> that, mm. that that was that was fun, uh, but yeah. So uh, you know, but we got through it and stuff, and so it's it's good now. She has a a prosperous practice now in in Miami, um, which like you mentioned, I I manage. I do sort of the back end stuff. My my official title is administrator, but I don't. I'm not a shareholder or anything like that. I just kind of like, um, you know, hire. Um, just kind of delegate, uh, delegate billing, marketing, that kind of thing, just top level stuff, just kind of keeping the structure together. Right. And we had talked about through ZocDoc, a lot of the marketing going through that. But my question was, I was thinking that's got to have, have a big play as far as you starting your own law firm, right? Different sector as far as law and healthcare, but are there any similarities in starting that up from scratch? Yeah, there's, so there's a ton of similarities. And um, really what it boils down to, I think, um, is, I think, thinking critically about what you actually uh, absolutely need. Uh, and just um, having a concept of what your practice, uh, what the bare essentials are. And I think that way you can keep costs low. I mean, I'll tell you, for me, um, I graduated in from law school in, in 2019 and um i got barred in 2020 uh which as most people know is right around when covid hit uh so i had a really good uh position at a firm that i really respected lined up uh but when i mean this was basically like february march of 2020 they were like hey you know can't pay what we offered so um you know my passions hadn't changed so i just kind of took a step back and i was like all right wouldn't i really 
absolutely need to to do my craft you know to do my thing and at the time you know we're all from home and i mean really all i need to do my job is a laptop and a phone um i can do consults over the phone over zoom um you know court is on zoom now too uh, i was at the time so um so yeah so i started from very 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 small and we did a very similar thing with her um she didn't do procedures uh, at her practice for a very long time. I mean, it's literally just encounters, just primary care stuff. Um, and it's interesting. Like, you can really think about, like, what do I absolutely need? And all you need is, like, a space to do encounters. Now, not even, because you can do a lot of telemedicine. So you can definitely start a practice from just a telemedicine uh context and, and build it up to where it's revenue positive and then eventually get uh, brick and mortar. Oh, man. And I actually Googled her, her practice, too. I mean, 4.6 on one website, 4.8 on Google review. She's thriving. That's a really good. That's excellent. So we were very excited to see that there. I, I was very impressed. That's that's not easy to get that, to that point. Um, so Thank cool. You. So we then brick and mortar. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What as far as the similarities, though, I mean, we could just touch a little bit more in depth, like you were saying, billing, um, bringing on procedures. I think when we spoke, we're going back months maybe even a year now we had kind of talked about how your mom was i think bringing on pas is that right right so we were looking into the possibility of uh using some non-md providers like uh nurse practitioners and and pas physicians assistants um just i think when when the volume gets high enough and, and depending on the state so some some states have given like florida um, have given uh, nurse practitioners and PAs a lot of autonomy so they can prescribe um, and they can do a lot on their own uh, as long as they have a supervising doc. Um, and so we're getting to the place in the practice slowly but surely. Um, I mean, it's we, we opened up in 2010, her practice. Um, so right around when she got licensed. Um, and and mind you, we got to the United States in 1999, uh, and I was born in 92, so we can sort of back up and we can do that whole thing if you guys are excited uh, about that. But uh, basically, the similarities, you know, is just starting very small uh, and then incrementally going up. PAs and nurse practitioners make sense when your volume is so large that you, it's like, you can't be everywhere all at once, right? And so, and mm. I don't know, I'm kind of a, uh, throwing it maybe a little old school and showing my nerdy background, but if you ever followed Naruto uh, and, you know, Naruto's big thing is he could do fucking, he could do shadow clones. Um, and basically a, what a PA is and a nurse practitioner is a bunch of shadow clones. And if you train them right and, you know, they they work under you for a while. Um, mom, she's very... Um, she understands modern context, but she's a very traditional practitioner. I mean, she graduated in 88. She was a specialist by the time she had me in 92. She's not, you know, she's not a new uh, pup, you know, she's been around the block. Uh, but she had the the luck of training and, you know, stateside and and sort of modernizing her practice. But the, the bedside manner, the face-to-face -face interaction is very much traditional it's like a practice in cuba would expect and that i think is um is because of her patient population um so miami florida especially hialeah where she lives is 90 plus percent hispanic so only like only like maybe 
10% of her patients speak predominantly English. Wow. So wow. 90% speak Spanish. Uh, so they expect, you know, how you doing, mijito? You know, how, you know, they know the family, the abuela, the cousin, you know, it's it's very family focused. Uh, and so it it it's hard in corporate America to understand that. But she makes it work. She does the 15 minute t- turnarounds, but still digs deep enough that that patient population is satisfied. Yeah, well, that's where she has the advantage because she she understands what you know her population is looking for. She understands the relationship and the cultural relationship that her her patients are looking for. So I'm sure that's a it's a big comfort to her patients also that you know they can go to someone who understands them on a on a greater level than just doctor patient. And it's the reason she has the reviews that she has. Um, so yeah, it's like four point eight stars on Google. Um, she's on ZocDoc. I think she has some like one hundred fifty reviews, four point six. Um, it's no uh, coincidence. It's it's bedside manner. It's doing the things that to the practitioner maybe don't make as much sense. I mean, for family, for folks in family medicine, I ask you this: When was the last time you touched a patient? Um, and does it make sense to do a comprehensive physical exam, even though you know half of it is theater, right? Mm. What hmm. does the patient expect? And are you doing that? Um, and, you know, sadly, in the insurance framework that we find ourselves in, where the average encounter is seven minutes, a lot of doctors just don't want to play ball. And um, I think that they suffer professionally as a result. Seven mm. minutes? Yeah, that's not seven minutes. You wait twenty-seven minutes in the waiting room before you go to see the doctor. You get seven. Not in our practice, <laughs> but but uh, but yes, uh, the average wait time is is much higher than the time spent before the doctor. And if you look at stats now, I mean, just just because of the reimbursement rate. So the way they work um, is the multiple is lower, right? So you you get reimbursed like let's say um, I don't know, average sixty bucks for a fifteen-minute encounter. And then it goes up every 15 minutes after that, it goes up like 10 or 15%. So the move financially, if you're looking at it from my point of view, is just have a bunch of 15 minute blocks. So if you have a 15 minute encounter, you know, the person has to come in, do vitals, wait, high, bum, bum, bum. But, you know, it's five minutes in, five minutes out, seven minutes average talking to the patient. You guys got science. It's, awesome. it's kind of crazy when you boil it down to a science like that of just the, uh, of just the you know the numbers of it all. It's it's an interesting thought process. I guess it's something that you know Brenda we're gonna have to look into more when we you know start seeing our patients. But you know you stay your mom stands out because she's spending that extra time. So you know the numbers take you so far, but then after a certain while and after a certain point, to her credit, she doesn't know any of this. <laughs> she's she's not given a moment's thought to any of this she doesn't know what her reimbursement rates are she doesn't know you know how much time she spends she might spend 30 minutes with a patient if she feels like they need it there's no one down her throat i work remotely so i'm i don't have a whip at her you know um uh, i know what the schedule you know i know what the schedule looks like but you know there's a lot of give and takes and people show up you know and she babies them so it, at the end of the day you got to do what the patient needs but um you know, you financially, you also have to do, you know, what makes sense. And so you have to straddle that line, certainly. 
I mean, wait a minute, but you're all the way up here in New York. I mean, this is extremely impressive. And you're, you're, she has no idea what's going on behind the scenes because you're managing all of that. How have you set up a model that you're able to do that remotely? <laughs> That's a good you know question. I mean? So the, the, the short answer is you, you build a really good team. Um, so, and you, you do a lot when you're there, boots on the ground. So I, I wasn't always in New York. I, I moved up here, um, let's say almost two years ago now going on a year and a half. Cause my wife is going to graduate school up here. But, uh, but I was in 2020 when I was building my practice after I had graduated law school, I went back to Miami, um, and did a lot of heavy lifting. So the practice had been open for a while and I had been very, um, let's say I'd been kind of doing my own thing, you know, I'd been an undergrad and whatever. Um, but we did a lot of, uh, there was a big cultural shift, uh, when I, when I came back and sort of applied what I learned, uh, so to speak in, in professional school. And then also, um, just kind of did a little bit of research. And the, the number one thing I found is, um, her culture sucked. She, she liked to hire, um, well, I mean, it's nice, but for example, there's a lot of doc Cuban doctors that live in Miami that aren't credentialed. And so her model for hiring people is like, let me get one of these doctors. They already know the clinical side of things and I'm going to train them on like the EMR and stuff like that. And it's like, that's not the way to do it. You're the doctor. You need a scribe. You don't need somebody who has another right. medical opinion. Um, so what I started to do is I started to hire pre-med undergrads from the Florida International University Honors College, uh, very um, sort of, uh, let's say competitive hiring process where we'll put, a, we'll put up a listing for a scribe and you have know, 40 people might apply. And so we're hiring, you know, three A plus biomed engineer, she, you know, pre-med track. And so what we've created is sort of an internship where you come to our practice and you learn the nuts and bolts. You start from intake and, and patient satisfaction, and then you get to be a scribe. And then after you're a scribe for a while, if you want to, you can, um, we pay for medical assistant or phlebotomy courses. So the students get to pursue those things. Um, and then if you're interested in doing more backend stuff, you can do uh, some of the billing and uh, some of the more administrative tasks. And you can get into the, the weeds of the budgeting and stuff like that and revenue cycle mm -hmm. management. Um, and so by selectively choosing the staff and the scribes and having people who are cultural fits, um, then you can dictate what happens um, remotely if you have a good task manager we use asana which is phenomenal um and there's sort of an understanding that even though i'm not there i can check in every now and again and i can see the tasks that are being done and i can see you know what's on the calendar and you know and that way you know that the absolutely critical things are being done actually one of our one of our um interns will say uh she just started a temple uh on a full ride so, so a lot of her. what they get too is a lot of experience, a glowing letter of recommendation. I mean, kudos to her, Ivana. What's going on? Uh, <laughs> but uh, she's an absolute badass. Um, and so, and it's it, it's about finding those people who are absolute badasses and not trying to constrict them, but trying to invest in them and seeing them go. And hopefully, when they're on their way down, uh, we'll pick some of them up, and hopefully, we'll be big enough to hire them. That's incredible. It's not often you hear any internship that's willing to show uh, people, you know, their interns are the back end of things. 
Right. And the administrative side is such a, ah, you'll figure it out when you get there. And then we all get there and we're like, what the hell is this? You know, you mentioned all these numbers and we're like, wow, that's so crazy. But they already know these things. Right? You know, they're at least aware of it to a greater extent. That's such a such a huge advantage for them moving forward. Yeah, I, I would say so. Um, I mean, I think having Ivana would be great, uh, a podcast guest, just to, so she could tell you firsthand what some of the insights for her were. Um, but yeah, from the from nuts to bolts, just you know, how do we acquire the patient? How does it get treated? What does patient satisfaction look like? What does an encounter look like? Um, not, you know, so just having that context going into medical school, you know what's bullshit and what's not and what's valuable and what's not. Um, and so you can be much more intentional, I think, um, in what you want to pursue. Oh yeah, very direct. Absolutely. I think that's, that is really, really um, interesting how you're taking pre-med students you know early on in college even yeah so we start as early as sophomore year um and so these are people who listen i can i can go on indeed or um you know linkedin or whatever and find like a career scribe but like a career scribe she's just going to want to clock in and clock out um or they uh he you know usually these roles are more female oriented. I got to be honest. I, we get more competent female applicants. It's just a fact currently. Um, so, um, so the, the, the career scribe on average is, is not a go-getter. Like, you know, they're not gunning for, for, you know, they don't have, you know, their eyes don't glow, right. When they come into the office, you get, you know, somebody who's got a chip on their shoulder. They know they want to go to med school. They're in the honors college. They got a high GPA, they're in there not for the $15 an hour. They're in there because they want to learn their their craft. And that's who you need. That's right. And then you're investing in them. So between their drive, you're actually considering their values and interests, you know, wholeheartedly. That's that's a great combo. Sean, I think that's something we're gonna have to seriously consider as far as like when we get surgical assistance for me, orthodontic assistance for you. Uh Sean's an ortho, by the way. So like we're and, oh, cool. and he's he's my best friend through dental school. We started the, <laughs> the marketing company on the side. Like, so, so we're, we're like, this is super helpful for us uh, to, to learn this from you. Um, and then what, wow, so do you think Ivana would come back eventually? Also, I meant to ask, are most of the PAs, NPs, assistants, students, are there also bilingual English, Spanish? In Miami, you have to be. There's not an I was, gonna, I was thinking, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're you're at a severe disadvantage if you're in Miami, you don't know how to speak Spanish or at least understand it. Um, in our practice, we won't look at an applicant unless they are native Spanish speakers. Native. Uh, yeah. It, I mean so I you're talking apply. about no. I mean you could, but you get rejected. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, you know, you'd have to you'd have to spend some time down there. It's like it's like I said, culturally you have to, you know, when 90% of your patient base speaks predominantly Spanish, you can't mess around. I mean, you know, otherwise you can't speak, you can't connect. Um, so with you know, another cool thing that we're having uh that we're hopefully starting soon is she was just accepted to do the um, the third year rotations for family medicine for FIU's uh, uh, College of Medicine. So uh, hopefully starting March, we're going to start having 10 students at a time in rotations of four to six weeks. Um, and what we're and we're excited about that 
for two reasons. One is we get more bright eyed individuals, hopefully, um, uh, to do some of that work. Um, and, and Dr. Gonzalez just loves to teach. She's just a born teacher. You know, she's like a really nice, uh, sweet, um, individual, but she, uh, has, she just loves her craft. I mean, she chose, she was going to be a doctor at seven. She's done nothing else. She never thought about politics, business. She, all she cares is about having a good clinical eye and, and doing the right intervention. Um, but she's a sweet, super sweet human being. Um, and so teaching that to others is, is really, really fulfilling for her. So this is like a really cool new step. Um, and I think our scribes will take more of a supervisory role. And our, our goal is since we have 10 students, she sees, um, about 20 to 24 patients a day. So our goal would be to have, um, each student see at least two patients and be responsible for that encounter, write the notes, you know, the soap, HMP and stuff. Oh, yeah. And um, and then have the scribes sort of um, go over their work. We also hired um, a GME coordinator to kind of mm. go over the curriculum um, and, you know, put together some things that that, are, that would be nice. And also just to coordinate logistics and stuff. I don't I can't do that. And neither can Dr. Gonzalez. So. It, it makes sense, though, because you need to have some didactic academic relation to it, too, if it's exactly. a rotation um mm -hmm. oh man that's that's awesome oh my god and i i rotate with medical students and medical residents obviously at the hospital their notes impeccable oh my god so <laughs> great to have them on board this is a great yeah. uh segue you said your mom knew at seven years old that she yeah. wanted to be a doctor now i want to i want to use this segue to you at seven years old because you said you were born 1992 1999 you came to america but yeah. it sounds like you didn't think being a doctor or the medical route was the way huh no i so interestingly <laughs> enough now i have a pretty big interest but not, like back in the day um here I'll, I'll tell you why she was interested is her dad um was always uh around fitness and he was a physical therapist in cuba and he had his own uh practice in in sort of uh in in havana and so she would see how he would heal people physically and i think in her seven-year-old mind she thought that being uh, a doctor was something like being a physical therapist um and she just like made that choice uh, mind you in cuba you don't you don't make um a lot of money if you're a doctor it's nothing like the united states um it's just another job and in fact you become an asset of the government and they can they can sort of loan you out and make your salary so it it's not it, it's prestigious but it's not it's kind of like uh it becomes a difficult choice especially if you if you ever want to leave the country you have to relinquish your title and things like that so they make it very uncomfortable um mm. but yeah for me it was um i think a little bit of wanting to do my own thing i definitely have interests uh in like an exercise physiology and nutrition um and that kind of thing uh but for me i think i thought that I, being a doc meant um procedures and that shit makes me queasy bro <laughs> i'm not gonna lie to you like Man, I don't know if I could. I don't know if I could cut in on another human. And Dude, be you and me, you and me both, man. That's why I chose ortho, man. I'd leave the cutting to Brendan. I'm not. I'm not picking up a scalpel. Nah. You know, they yeah. go right to Brendan. 
and I don't know. You could just consult, you know. And I was yeah. like, I don't know. I can, dude. I get like, I get like clammy hands. I have hyperhidrosis, and my hands sweat. Just I have like a really good three D um memory. So I just visualizing organs in my in my mind's eye makes me like, you know what I mean? It's not good. I hear you. Not good. I hear you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you get you get used to it over time. I never liked blood or cutting other people or you know myself but then you realize when you give them the lidocaine they can't feel anything anyway and i give them Bro. a real amount of lidocaine so but but <laughs> i'll, I'll get like a vagal nerve reaction like i'll get i get i get hypotensive and i'm out like, like out out I, dude i'm out <laughs> like if you if you if you pin me iv and you and you mess you like you're in my in my shit for too long i start i start to lose like consciousness it's bad. So, so you knew you. <laughs> yeah, you knew, you and, and the, what's funny is I'm a risk taker. Otherwise, like you know, I love like for example like Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. I do it on on a regular basis, and I like race go karts. It's not like I don't know. It's weird. It's just there's um an acuity with the body where I like feel it too much. And I'm just like too in tune with it, and I just like uh, and then I freeze out. Man, I'm with all you. school is calling. <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly i i just um i did i did philosophy as as an undergrad um and i just like the big questions and um and i i just thought um with law school well there was a, there was a lot there but um the the biggest one is just kind of like practical philosophy at, at some point in undergrad i felt i fell in love with ethics um and just questions of the mind and consciousness and stuff and i just thought well i can either pursue this the phd route and just work on a bunch of footnotes or i can work on like practical philosophy and sort of the applied philosophy is law um you have these constructs these ideas about how things ought to be and really what the law seeks to do is is um is enforce those and and sort of uh apply sort of legal theory to the populace at large so i thought that was interesting i pursued it yeah yeah and so you started your own firm in yeah, during, during covid how how does how does that happen i know you touched on it earlier but when you said that i'm like in the middle of covid this guy's starting a business it's like the exact <laughs> well, of everybody else well i was i was backed into a corner because i'd um i had basically been laid off from the from the firm that i had hired that had hired me and so then I was like, well, what I really enjoy and like is, is business law. As you, as you can tell, I have sort of um, a natural uh, inclinations toward uh, like entrepreneurship and business management, and that kind of thing. And I think that spans across. And so that naturally, um, I think, um, feeds into my, my interest in business law and, uh, and basically everything having to do with you know, from entity formation to, to shareholder litigation. Uh, and I had a friend coincidentally from law school who was in Miami and he was, he was doing immigration. And I, I was in the legal clinic at Iowa and uh, I was a translator and he was in, in the immigration clinic. We had both taken immigration law. Um, obviously I had an interest in that just because of my background. Um, then you realize how complex it is. And you're like, oh my God, I'm going to do business law. Uh, but he, <laughs> yeah, immigration law is, I, I like it more now, but I, I got to be honest, in law school, I was like, that is entirely too much. Um, and so oh, he he was doing uh, immigration at a firm uh, in Miami, and um, 
they had just cut his hours and they they had taken away his commission. Uh, he he got like a cut for every contract upon sale and they took that away. And so I was like, hey man, why don't we uh, go into business? You know, why don't we do um, like a 50-50 split? You can handle immigration, I'll handle business law and general civil and we'll just see what happens. Like, and we'll keep overhead super low. We'll literally, we'll build, all we need is a website, a laptop. Um, so what we do is I work out of virtual offices. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of like Regis or WeWork. Yeah, we, yeah, WeWork, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. So you can uh, you can pay a small monthly amount to literally um, have the corporate address so you can have your like Google My Business or whatever um, and have that be your office location. And then if you have to do a consult and it's like an in-person consult, you can book out a conference room. Um, so that's how you can have like offices in Miami and New York and really like have no overhead. Um, and so we started doing that. And um, it's like pretty good, man. When 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 you're like a professional and you're just selling services, um, there's like no cost other than labor, right? So mm. it's not like you're manufacturing a widget and there's all these costs associated with making this widget and shipping the widget and getting it out to the client. You're not ever holding inventory. So if you're like like half adept at like, okay, let's keep costs low. What do we need to make sales if you're sales driven? Um you know that's what happens you know we just like start to uh to make a little bit and then you're like all right cool we got a little bit in the bank what do we you know what's the next sort of um development to that and then you start kind of building what you need and then you start i've invested mostly in my team um these days um i uh so i i ended up hiring a paralegal who's awesome who has a ton of experience in immigration and uh, I do the consults with her and we work together. And then I, I do the general civil stuff myself. Um, I just hired a baby attorney. Um, she, she's actually taking the bar exam this week. So, so best of luck, Cindy, uh, if you're hearing this. Um, but uh, my goal in the future is to do mostly sales and, and marketing um, and then have uh, both Cindy and, and my paralegal handle a lot of the production line. And then I can do the shit that I like, which is like hearings and sales. <laughs> huh. What is yeah. sales like for law? I, I'm not, I, I don't know, Sean, I, I, I don't know. Sure. So it's, so in law, you actually have, like your client pays you. It's not your insurance company, right? Imagine if you were like looking for a lawyer and you had to look up, oh, I wonder if my insurance company covers this lawyer, right? Like that's weird. Yeah. So so what sales entails is you have a sit down with a client and you have a, a sort of, you know, he, he or they uh, explain to you what the situation is, you know, the facts, and you relate to them to your knowledge of the law and you sort of draft a plan of action for how you solve their, how you may be able to solve their problem. And if they like what they hear and they like your price, then they sign a contract with you to hire you. Um, and that's, that's, basically the you know the sales pitch and then it you know when you sign a contract there they enter into a promise to pay you money in exchange for your services uh yes um, the, like the one third the 33 percent yeah okay well that's a contingency figure so this is very interesting i, I actually geek out about this so also um, just, you're just, just really quick we, yeah. we have less than a minute left and we're oh, really getting sorry. into the some meat and potatoes here is yeah, it okay yeah. if we <laughs> sign back into the same yeah no problem yeah absolutely is that yeah. okay guys yep just real quick yeah Yeah. <laughs>